Well, hey there. Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome back to the channel for today's installment of Open Mic, the show where the mic is open, the floor is yours. What do you guys want to talk about? What sort of issues do you want to discuss in this great big world of movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all that sorts of good stuff? I am, of course, your host, John Campia. Good to have you guys here and uh, for joining us today. And, uh, Hey, how great was it the last couple of days having uh, Sean Chandler join us as a guest on the show? Um, you know, it's we had Rob's is uh, out of town right now. He's working on a, a project that he works on annually. He'll be back next week. And then Chris got a gig and uh, which is great. But that kind of left us shorthanded. And I reached out to Sean who uh, who had traveled in. Remember when we did that uh, evening with Campy Al Alba and Harloff? Uh, the live event. Well, Sean actually flew in from Texas to be at that. And that's where I first physically met Sean in person. And I've always thought to myself, you know, it'd be really good to have him on as a guest on the show one of these days when we need it. And we needed it. And thank goodness he was available and he was willing to come on the show. And I thought he was great. Actually, I thought he was so great that I mentioned to him that we should have him pop on from time to time. Uh, I mean, we've got a full dance card with Chris and Rob, but I told Sean I'd really like to have him on uh, every once in a while. So I thought he was a great, great, great guest on the uh, on the show. Anyway, uh, good to have you guys here. And it is Thursday. It's game day, ladies and gentlemen. Gen V, which I think is the best show airing on television at the moment. Like, it's not as good as The Last of Us. It's not as good as House of the Dragon. But those aren't on right now, right? I, I think maybe, just maybe, I think Gen V might be the best show that's airing right now. Uh, and so I'm super excited about that. And the fact that I actually like Loki season two so far, which is great. Cause I, you know, I, you know, I wasn't thrilled. I wasn't thrilled with uh, Loki season one. So the fact that Loki season two were two episodes in, I've really enjoyed both episodes. So that's a great Thursday night. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting home a little bit later and watching, and of course, killers lane forward in the live chat point out killers of the flower moon. Uh, is out today. I actually was supposed to go see it today. Actually, I'm supposed to be sitting in a movie theater right now watching Killers of the Flower Moon. Ann and I got tickets for 3.30 p.m., but that's right now, 3.30 p.m. Los Angeles time. And then I forgot that I had to do open mic today. And so I have, so I am choosing to spend time with you guys instead of Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro. That should make you feel very special. So, uh, yeah, but also Killers of Flower Moon opens and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a big day, but in particular for TV and I can't wait to get home and watch a bunch of TV and hello to everybody in the live chat. Who's already here. And listen, guys, like I said, today, we're going to be taking your questions, two different ways to get questions on the show. Number one, not right now, not right now, but if any of the 23 hours of the day that we're not streaming live, you want to send in a question, you can use our tip link. That's simply at streamelements.com slash John Campia slash tip. And you can go there 24 hours a day and send in a question that way. Or if you are watching live right now, you can use the super chat feature and send that in. All right. Now, before we get to all that stuff, I thought I'd, I'd touch on this because I've been having a bunch of people. I don't know why. But I've been getting a bunch of people writing to me and, and ask me about this. So I figured I might as well bring this up and discuss it. So obviously there's a bunch of stuff going on in the Middle East. But in my entire lifetime, when has there not been a whole bunch of stuff going on in the Middle East? Anyway, there is uh, some particular stuff 
going on in the Middle East right now, obviously with you know Hamas, Israel, Gaza, like all that kind of stuff. And I've had a whole bunch of people, and I, for the life of me, I don't know why. I've had a whole bunch of people writing into me for the last week or so saying, John, talk about what's going on in Israel. John, talk about, you know, this that's going on and talk about why these people are bad and why those people are bad and talk about, talk about how this is happening the wrong way and this is happening the wrong way. And John, John, you need to talk about what's going on in Israel. Do I? Do I? And, and, and more importantly, when I say, do I? Um, my real question is when people say, we need to hear you talk about Israel, we need to talk about Israel. I'm like, do I? But more importantly, do you? Not, not do you need to talk about Israel, but do you need to hear me talk about Israel and what's going on over there? And look, I don't say that to be reductive in any sort of way as to the seriousness of what's going on over there whatsoever, like not at all. But there, there are a couple of factors about why, like I, we don't talk about politics on my YouTube channel. Now on my own personal social media accounts, I will discuss politics. It's just John Campia, the average guy. When I'm on my like Facebook page or whatever, yeah, for some reason I still have a Facebook page. I, I don't know for how much longer. It's Facebook is really the main thing that keeps me in touch mostly with people I still know, like family and friends that I have up in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, which is home for me. And so that's probably the only reason I still have a Facebook account. But anyway, sidetracked. Yes, for some reason I still have a Facebook account. But like on my own personal um, social media stuff, I, I I will talk about my political viewpoints and political beliefs on certain issues and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My own personal John Campia, individual person, social media stuff, I will from time to time. But on my YouTube channel, we we don't discuss politics. Now, I I will from time to time discuss things that I do not believe are political issues. Racism is not a political issue, in my opinion. That is a human issue, right? Prejudice, hatred, all that kind of stuff. That that's These are not political issues. People will like to try to convince you sometimes they're political issues to hide their own evil, I guess. But to me, those aren't political issues. Those are humanity issues. And sometimes, sometimes, on a rare occasion, I will discuss those things. But as far as, like... What's going on with no speaker in the in the house right now? Or what's going on with five trials? Or what's going on with the uh, you know the uh, uh, the voting rezoning districts in whatever? Like I I don't care. It's not that I don't care. It's just that that's not what my channel is here for, and that's not what people who come to my YouTube channel come to hear me for. But there's a there's a bigger issue than that. The bigger issue is that when it comes to why everybody thinks they know everything. I, I mean, I'm sorry, that's just a truth. You think you know everything. You do. If there's somebody sitting beside you, they think they know everything. They do. Everyone thinks they know everything. They may say they don't think they know everything, but deep down, everybody thinks they know everything. Um, it's just a part of the human condition, I think. So anyway, 
when it comes to like a big issue, like what's going on over in the Middle East and, you know, when situations liken unto that arise, I think it's important to like acknowledge that these are complex issues. Um, there's not a lot of black and white. I'm not saying there's not a right and not a wrong, but I am saying that there are, to use a movie reference, there are 50 shades of gray that are complex, right? And I got to just be the first person to tell you, I don't have a full total grasp of the events going on in the Middle East, right? I know what I read in the news. I know what I see in certain videos. I know that sort of stuff. But if I believed for a second that watching some news clips and reading some articles gives me a real grasp on a situation that has been a century, <laughs> to some might say thousands of years, uh, in making and, and being complex and being different and stuff like that. Look, the reality is I don't have a firm enough grasp and really understand the situation, what's going on over there. I may have some thoughts on it, but my thoughts on what's going on over there are, to put it kindly, um, not qualified. They're not qualified thoughts. And so for me to get on my platform and just spout off, well, here's what I think about what's going on in Israel, would be irresponsible at best and malicious at worst. I'm not talking for other people. I'm saying for me. Okay, I'm not talking about what other people are doing or how other people are doing it whatsoever. I'm just talking about myself. Okay, just me. So for me to get on here with my platform and like whatever audience I have and say, here's what I think about blah, blah, it, like it's it's an uneducated opinion. It's an uneducated guess that isn't totally fully have grasp of the situation. So why should you guys listen to me talk about Israel. Now, what you should listen to me about is how nobody wants a Batman Beyond movie. That you should listen to me about. But don't listen to me about talking about Israel or whatever. And listen, it's... it's that there's, a, there's a train of thought out there that I understand that says, hey, not a lot of people have a platform. And if you have a platform, there comes with it a certain responsibility to use that platform. Uh, to quote Uncle Ben, with great power comes great responsibility. Or in YouTuber's point of view, with a small monochrome of influence, maybe a little bit of responsibility. Like, I, I understand that. But again, I only believe that those people who have however big of a platform or people like myself who have a tiny little platform should only use their platform to speak on things that they truly have a real grasp on. And the situation in the Middle East is just not one of them. I'm like everybody else. I'll sit down and I'll watch, um, I'll watch the news and I'll feel horrified. And do I certainly have some thoughts? Yes. But am I qualified to really share those thoughts with people who come to me and my platform for something else? I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, look, if I want to hop on my own Facebook page and write some thoughts there, I can do that. People who come to me for entertainment news don't go to my Facebook page. Nobody goes to my Facebook page. They come to my YouTube channel. But And so I don't, I, I just don't do that here. And, and there has been 
a growing trend in blogs and and podcasts and YouTube channels as well as as people taking entertainment and making it political. Right? Like movies have always even go back to the original George Lucas Star Wars. George Lucas wrote about it himself. Star Wars is a political movie. Most movies in history have have an anchoring in politics and stuff like that. But movies and television shows are really just the filmmaker and the storyteller telling you and showing you a picture of the world through their eyes or through their worldview, right? That's always been a part of the art. What has not always been a part of the art is pundits evaluating that art based on whether that art aligns with your political ideology or not. Like I, I watch a movie and I don't care whether a movie aligns with my political ideology or not, or even in my life philosophy or not. I don't care if a movie lines up with my life philosophy or not. I just watch a movie and evaluate on whether I think the story is good. Do I think the characters are well-developed? Was I engaged in the, did the movie give me an emotional experience? A great example that I like to use for this is the amazing Clint Eastwood movie, Million Dollar Baby right? Clint Eastwood um, is quite a politically outspoken person, but in his movie, right? For the, and I'm, I'm about to spoil Million Dollar Baby for you in case you haven't seen it, but it's, an, it's a Best Picture Academy award-winning film that is like decades old. If you haven't seen it, you're clearly not interested in it, but I'm just giving you a little bit of warning right now. I'm about to spoil the end of Million Dollar Baby. So in Million Dollar Baby... You know, his girl, his boxer, she gets sucker hit, she falls, breaks her neck on a bench, and she ends up in the hospital completely paralyzed from the neck down, right? And Clint Eastwood, her trainer, goes to see her in the hospital, and she wants him to help her kill herself. She doesn't want to live if she's going to be paralyzed, right? The character that Clint Eastwood portrayed made the very difficult decision. The character made a decision in this fictitious story, made the decision to help his girl, the fighter, um, Hillary Swank is the girl who played her. I, I, did she win an Oscar for that? I can't remember. She won an Oscar, got nominated for an Oscar. Anyway, so... He had to make the decision about whether to help Hillary Swank take her own life or not. And in the movie, this made up fictitious story, this character, non-real character, made the decision to help the girl take her own life and kill herself. Now, when that happened, some people lost their minds. Like there were protests like outside of the Oscar ceremony, like, Clint Eastwood doesn't think handicapped people are worth living. Clint Eastwood thinks anybody who's got handicaps should be put down or, or something like that. And it's like, wait a minute, time out. That's, that's not necessarily what Clint Eastwood was saying. Clint Eastwood just made a, a fictitious story, made up a story about a man and a girl and a horrible situation 
and the man was asked to do something terrible, and that man, that fictitious character, decided to do it. Now, would I have helped the girl take her own life? I don't think I would have. I, I, I don't think I would have. But am I going to review and evaluate that movie based on whether that fictitious character did what I would have done? No. It's a brilliant film. Do I agree with the decision that the character made at the end? No, but that's part of the story. And a part of the art, a part of the art of filmmaking and storytelling at all is supposed to be about us as individuals seeing and experiencing and exposing ourselves to what other people might have done or decisions being made that aren't the decisions we would have made. And unfortunately today, we have a, a number of podcasters and bloggers and whatnot who have politicized the art and said, now this art isn't doing what I want it to do. That's all I need to know. It's not about whether the art is good. It's not about whether the characters are well-developed. It's not, a, has nothing to do about the storyline. There's something in this that does not align with my personal political ideology. And therefore I'm going to crap on this movie. And I, I don't see that as being healthy. I don't think that has done any good for discourse about the art and movies and film. Um, there's been a real over politicization of, of the art and it's not coming from the artists. It's coming from the people watching the art. So many directors, they put their politics in the movies today. Newsflash, learn a little bit of history. All filmmakers through history have always done that. Whenever a storyteller tells the story about the world through their eyes or through a certain prism, whatever, there is inherently going to be in that a reflection of a political thought or a political belief. That has always been in film, 100% of the time. What has changed is that traditionally audiences knew how to watch that and it's like, oh, that's not what I would have done. And that's not what I believe. But this movie was good. Or that is exactly what I would have done. And that character believes exactly what I believe. But the movie was still shit. Like, we, audiences used to be able to do that. But now you got pundits and whatever who actively promote the idea of if this filmmaker doesn't make a movie that aligns with your political ideology, you need to hate that filmmaker and you need to hate that movie. So, yeah, I mean, so... The question comes up all the time when I have people, a lot of people write to me all the time. It's not just about Israel and what's going on with, with Gaza and all that kind of stuff. Like whenever there are big issues going on, like you have no idea how many people have written to me say, John, make a statement, a talk on the show about whatever criminal trials about a former ex-president or John, make a, make a statement about a criminal trial about the son of a president or John make it. It's like, why, why? Why would I number one? And why would you even want to hear me talk about that? I'm not the expert. It's, it, you know, just, it just, uh, yeah. So do I think that entertainment pundits, whether they're bloggers or podcasters or whatever, should be bringing their own personal politics into uh, their punditry? No, I don't, I don't think they should. And to anybody who would then say, well, filmmakers shouldn't either. It's like, well, then there would be no films. Because whenever somebody tells a story, 
there is inherently going to be some form of political thought, right? In that, if you want to make a story about the world, I mean, that that's just going to be part of it. But it should still be behooven upon us as fans and as us as pundits, I, th- I think at any rate, to then look at and evaluate that art, not based on whether or not that art lines up with our own ideologies, but rather, is it a piece of art that has given me an experience? Is it a piece of art that, that drew me in and, and made me think and made me feel and, and, and all that kind of stuff? And I don't know. I mean, look, I, I know um, everybody's going to have a different point of view on that and a, and a different opinion on that. But I've just been it, it's like a couple of people in particular, like writing to me and say, John, why are you being so spineless? Why aren't you making a, a statement about Israel? Well, it's because I think it's cowardly to speak on things you don't know enough about. I, I don't I'm not the person to talk about that stuff and I don't know it super well. But if I did, uh, maybe I would. Anyway, that's just kind of my little statement on that about why you haven't seen me talking about any big political world issues or stuff like that. It's just that you guys don't come to me to hear that stuff and I'm not the right person to speak on it. And if you really want to know my just my own, you know, micro level, small points of view or, or thoughts, you can follow me on my personal social media if you want. I'll talk about it there sometimes. But, uh, but not here, and that's why. Um, anyway, guys, with that all done, I, I'd like to know your thoughts. What do you think about all that? That's just kind of my take on it. Uh, but with that down now, guys, let's start getting to some questions, shall we, that you guys have been firing in and want me to discuss. So let's get to it right now, shall we? And we're going to start off with Anonymous, who writes, uh, Wars and conflicts are not inevitable. They are caused by human beings. There are always interests that are furthered by war. Therefore, those who have power and influence can also stop them. R.I.P. Uh, Marty Atisiari, Nobel Peace Prize winner in 2008. You know what? I I believe I remember seeing something about that on my AP news feed. Uh, I, don't get me wrong. I don't know much about Marty. I, I don't. But I believe I remember seeing that uh, a Nobel Peace Prize winner just recently passed away. That's unfortunate. Thank you for sharing that qu- comment, man. I appreciate that. All right. Next up. Um, and Anaz, you're also right. Just to clarify. We're g- By the way, guys, just a quick thought. If you guys do send in a, uh, a tip link question using streamelements.com slash John Campy slash chip, don't forget there's a little box that asks you to put your name in there. Make sure you put in your name. I don't need your name, but if you're going to be kind enough to send in a question, give us something fun to talk about and support our channel, I want to make sure your name gets a little bit of a shadow. So, because when you don't put in your name, it just automatically puts in anonymous. Just, just a little thing there. I want to make sure you guys get your name shout out. Anyway, uh, just to clarify regarding that Adrian uh, Padalecki, uh, Palicki, I mean, Padalecki is the guy from Supernatural. Uh, Palicki, Wonder Woman uh, pilot. Alexandra Daddario said she wanted to audition for it. Okay, that makes more sense. Uh, wanted to audition for it, but was not given the chance to even audition, which happened to her a lot at the time, and that led to her doing True Detective. Well, I'm super glad she did True Detective because she was amazing in it, and I think doing True Detective uh, opened up a bunch of... Uh, uh, opened up a bunch of possibilities for her. And uh, and yeah. Uh, okay, here. Next up, we've got uh, Garden Variety Vagabond writes, 
John, concerning the question of David Tennant being able to talk about Doctor Who at the convention panel. Okay, so just so you know, this goes back to a question that somebody else sent in saying, hey, David Tennant was just at a convention on a panel and he was talking about Doctor Who. No, 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 I, I, I retract that. He wasn't allowed to talk about Doctor Who. But the person asking the question said, wait a minute, Doctor Who isn't made in Hollywood. It's not under SAG. It's under the the uh, British Actors Guild. And it's made with British producers. Why is he not allowed to talk about Doctor Who? To which I said, I don't know, but it may just be him showing and standing in solidarity with all of his... Um, friends and co-workers in the entertainment industry who are on strike right now. So that was just my guess, though. I didn't know for sure. Anyway, uh, concerning the question of David Tennant being able to talk about Doctor Who at the convention panel, could it uh, could it because the current and next few years are being distributed internationally by Disney and not the BBC anymore? The, the question is not who's distributing it. The question is, what is the actors union that um, covers that production? And if it's not a SAG actors union, then, and David Tennant is not a part of that show as a member of SAG, but rather of another acting union that is not on strike, then it doesn't matter who's distributing it. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not saying you're right or wrong. I'm just saying that I'm not really sure. But again, it's not about, it's not like all actors in the world are striking against Disney. No, SAG is striking against Warner Brothers and Disney and Paramount and, and the AMPTP companies. But other acting unions are not. And I believe Doctor Who is made under the auspices of that actor's union, not SAG. Again, I'm not sure about that. Don't quote me on that. I could be way off on that, but I don't think it is. Anyway. All right. Next up, uh, we've got... That was Garden. Uh, Marley Marr writes, Hello all. Uh, the Marvel's Photon and Ms. Marvel are two characters the audience has not seen before. But what's the difference between that and the first Guardians film? Good question, but a huge difference. I'll get into that in a second. Uh, what's the difference between that and the first Guardians film? No one knew who Rocket and Groot were, uh, and that film was still a, was still successful. Same thing, right? Actually, it's not the same thing. It's completely different, and and here's why. It's kind of like why Mandalorian worked a lot better for most of the audiences out there than Ahsoka did. We talked about that a little bit on the show today. Because in Mandalorian, like I say, okay, who cares if nobody had heard, who cares if there's an audience member that has never heard of Ahsoka before? They never heard of Mando before. Ah, yes. But when you turn, tuned into Mandalorian, right? When Mandalorian season one came out, that story was told in a way that understood that nobody had ever met Mando before. We were being introduced to Mando. There's no backstory you had to know about Mando. There's not, oh yeah, in this other show, Mando was in there and you needed to know this, this, and this about him. And now they're continuing that story in this show, in which place people would feel lost. When Guardians of the Galaxy came out, Guardians of the Galaxy, nobody knew any of these people, right? Or most people didn't know anybody in Guardians of the Galaxy. And they made the movie that way. They made the movie and the audiences knew, all the audiences knew, these are all brand new characters. There's a fundamental difference, I believe, between that and 
having a movie with a known lead character, Captain Marvel, and now two other co-leads that you know they've already started on other shows that you never watched and have a bit of backstory and have already had things and you don't know anything about it. And even from the trailer, because they're talking to, you know, Kamala's parents and family and they, they've already established what their powers kind of are and all that kind of stuff. An audience member can look at that much more intimidatingly because it's like, oh, I'm already behind. I'm already behind. You start Mando, Mandalorian season one, you know, as an audience member, you're not behind. You know, the story is starting at the start line. You know, you're at square one. Whereas something like the Captain Marvel situation, where two thirds of the characters are ones you already know have gotten a start somewhere else. A lot of those people, a lot of people might already feel behind. Well, I never watched those shows. So I guess there's no point in me watching this movie. I have heard that from actual viewers of my show said, John, like I've never watched Captain, I've, I've never watched Ms. Marvel and I never watched WandaVision. I don't have Disney plus. I, so am I going to be lost watching Captain Marvel? I mean, that's what a lot of people think. So I actually think there's a big difference between starting Gar Guardians of the Galaxy where nobody knows them, but everybody knows they're starting right from scratch and something like a Captain Marvel situation or the Marvel situation where a lot of people look at it and feel like they're coming in already behind. And so I, I think those are two fundamentally different situations. I, how much that works out, not really sure. And, and we'll see. As a matter of fact, did you see that the box office projection just went significantly up for the Marvels? Because earlier in the week, the early box office projection was anywhere from 50 million to 75 million. Like 75 million was the top could have been as low as 50. A new report came out today that the box office projections are now instead of the bottom being 50, the bottom is now 75. And now they're saying 75 to 80 or 85. So it went from 50 to 75 to now 75 to 85. That's a significant difference. And the movie is still a few weeks away. We'll see if the numbers continue to go up. Maybe they'll go down. Maybe it'll meet those expectations. Maybe it'll exceed them. Maybe it'll fall short. Eh, I don't know. We'll find out. All right. Let's see here. Next up, we've got uh, Duck Duck writes, Star Wars Episode Five. that is also known as The Empire Strikes Back, uh, Child Support Strikes Back. It was really great. So just, for those of you who don't know, Duck Duck has been kind of going through all the Star Wars movies. Unfortunately, they started with Episode One, and now they're into the original trilogy. Uh, Star Wars Episode Four, uh, Child Support Strikes Back, was really great. The adventure is so much fun, and the character work was awesome. It leaves me with so much to look forward to. Hope it wraps up nicely. Also, how many drugs did Yoda do in between episodes? Yeah, a lot of drugs. <laughs> yeah, Yoda was, was he was doing. You know, on Dagobah, there was a lot of mushrooms around. Anyway, um, I cannot wait to for you to now get to what is my personal favorite movie of Star Wars, which is Return of the Jedi. That, that to me is my favorite. You'll find that most Star Wars fans, their favorite is Empire, the one you just watched. I think most, and I certainly adore it. It's fab fabulous. Uh, but yeah, I Return of the Jedi is my favorite. So I'm kind of excited that you get to go in and watch Return of the Jedi now. All right, guys, listen, we have a lot more to do and a lot more to get to. But before we do, we're going to take a quick break here and thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode, our friends at Fume and Rocket Money. 
We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Fume. Quitting cold turkey is great in theory, but you and I both know it's way more difficult than that. And that's why there's a better way to break your bad habits. We're not talking about some fake online promises. We're talking about our sponsor, Fume. And they look at the problem in a different way. Instead of a drastic, uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad from your habit? Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavor air device that does just that. See, instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. I personally didn't know what to expect when I first got my Fume. I mean, I've never liked vapes, but my goodness, the taste. The first time I tried it, I was completely sold on it. It was incredible. Stopping is something we all put off because it's hard, but switching to Fume is easy, enjoyable, and even fun. Fume has served over 150,000 customers and has thousands of success stories, and there's no reason that can't be you. Join Fume in accelerating humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up the journey pack today. Head to tryfume.com and use the code CAMPIA to save 10% off when you get the journey pack today. That's tryfum.com and use the code CAMPIA to save an additional 10% off your order today. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Rocket Money. Did you know that the average person has around 12 page subscriptions and they might not even remember to subscribing to half of those? If you have no idea just how much you're spending each month, you need Rocket Money. It's this great app that tracks all of your expenses so you know exactly where your money is going. I recently just found out that over 80% of people have subscriptions that they've completely forgotten about. Seriously, think about how many free trials you subscribe to that you just probably never canceled. And that's why I'm such a big fan of Rocket Money because I was one of those people. When I signed up to Rocket Money, I was stunned to find out that a gym I had belonged to in another city I lived in, I had still been paying my dues to for over two years. Also, that music subscription service I use, yeah, I forgot I was subscribed to two other ones. That's where Rocket Money comes in because Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. With over 3 million users and counting, Rocket Money customers have saved on average of $720 a year. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash campia. That's rocketmoney.com slash campia. Rocketmoney.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Fume and Rocket Money for sponsoring this episode. All right, guys, with that down, let's get back to your questions here, shall we? We're going to kick things off again with AJC who writes, hey, crew, I'm a big fan, thank you, and watch your show every night on my drive home. With Halloween coming, I look forward to Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. I've always loved it. And it make it I make it a tradition to watch it. Are you looking forward to this year? And what's your favorite episode? Thanks. I I kind of fell off the Simpsons maybe about eight, nine years ago, which is funny because I never got bored of Simpsons. I mean, it's it's not as good as it used to be, but it's funny, whenever I still throw on an episode because then I don't follow it, I still laugh at it a lot for whatever reason. But one of the parts of Simpsons that I always did keep up with was the Treehouse of Horror stuff. And I always loved the stuff with the two aliens. What were the aliens' names? Krang and something or other. I still remember one, I think it was a Treehouse of Horrors, where the two aliens, like, they had, uh, what was it, Bob Dole and Bill Clinton and they captured and they were going to replace them. Uh, Kang and Kodos. Thank you, Curtis Lopez, uh, in the live chat. Um, 
and they were they now they were going to run for president. It's like, well, we're going to vote for a third person. They're like, go ahead, throw away your vote. Ha 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 ha. Anyway, I yeah, that was always a fun one for me. But yeah, I used to love those a lot. All right. Next up. Uh, let's see. Andy Tew writes. My problem with the Swift film isn't people are having too much fun. It's that I could hear its audience screaming from my showing of The Exorcist, which uh, would have ruined it, except the film was already bad enough on its own. I hope it simmers down for killers. Um, You know what? Yeah, somebody wrote in on the John Campus show the other day and asked, you know, is it appropriate that people at the Taylor Swift concert movie, the Eras tour movie, are getting really rowdy and standing and singing and cheering and stuff like that. And me personally, I kind of love that sort of stuff. I love people really getting into and reacting to uh, to stuff as long as it's appropriate for what the subject matter is. But that is a good point you bring up. Like if you're if you go to a movie theater that does not do a good job of soundproofing in between theaters. Because I've been into some theaters where you can never hear a peep. I've been in movie theaters where I can practically hear the dialogue in the movie in the next theater over. So I guess it all depends on how good or bad your theater is. But yeah, I I guess I would personally find that pretty distracting myself, Andy. I think I would. All right. Next up, we got Pasquale, who writes, that's my dad's name, by the way, Pasquale. That's, that's my, my, my father's name is really Pasquale. Yes, it is. Uh, Pasquale writes, an idea to keep the canceled shows up on their respective streaming platforms. Play ads before slash during those select titles, even on the ad-free accounts. Uh, then you're violating your... your <laughs> if you throw on commercials onto a service where somebody's paying you to not have commercials, then you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get in a lot of legal trouble. Anyway, play ads before slash during those select titles, even on the ad free accounts, money earned in ad revenue could be used to cover expenses. It's not that simple. It's, it's, it's simply not that simple because let's say you have, I'm going to make up a movie, uh, the adventures of lens cap. Okay. Here's your hero. It's a Canon lens cap. Uh, the adventures of lens lens cap. Okay. You make a little movie called the adventures of lens cap and you have adventures of lens cap on your streaming service, Eddie plus, I don't know, maybe your name's Eddie. So you have a streaming service called Eddie plus, and you have this movie called the adventures of lens cap and you have it on your streaming service and like not a lot of people watching it. Almost nobody's watching it. Okay. Put ads on it. Well, here's the problem. No sponsors are going to pay you anything to put their ads on the adventures of lens cap when nobody is watching adventures of lens cap, right? Would you, would you pay money if nobody's watching it? I don't think so. I don't think you would. So, and yet for Eddie plus, Regardless, if anybody is watching The Adventures of Lenscap, you still have to pay licensing fees. It doesn't matter that nobody's watching it. Oh, and don't forget, the writers and the actors want their royalties. And depending on how royalty situations are actually created, it won't matter if anybody watched the director of Le- or the Adventures of Lenscap or not. So, 
even if nobody's watching the Adventures of the Lenscap, you still got to pay out licensing fees and other fees that go along and expenses that have it there. But the problem is nobody's watching it. So you can think, well, just put ads on it. But no sponsor is going to pay you any money to put their ads on something that nobody is watching. So it's a good thought. It's a good thought. <laughs> Herbert Scott in the live chat is saying the cap verse. Yes. Let's create an entire cinematic universe around the adventures of lens cap. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, thinking outside the box, trying to come up with ways, but that's the problem. Throwing commercials on something doesn't actually mean anything. Sponsors are only going to pay you money. If a lot of people are watching that something that they're putting their ads on. And if nobody's watching it, then there's no money to be made. All right, but keep trying to think outside the box. The industry needs it right now. We need people trying to think outside the box. All right, next up, Garden Variety Vagabond writes, John, for fans of both The Wheel of Time uh, show and books, the winteriscoming.net site, that's a good site, um, has a great article where the showrunner discusses season two with Brandon Sanderson, the writer of the last three books after creator and writer Robert Jordan died in 2007. It's very interesting as it captured a bunch of my feelings from his perspective. Sanderson was both a fan of Jordan's books and then chosen by Jordan to complete his saga. So his, so his insights, uh, that's a different insights you're using anyway, as both writer and fan are great. Interesting. I've never read the books um, and I've only watched season one. So I don't know that I would get a lot out of that in interview myself, but Angel in the live chat is already mentioning that he, he thinks that sounds really interesting. That'd be good for people who've actually read the books and watched the show. I'm not one of those, so I can't comment on that, but I'm sure a lot of people watching this right now are now going over to winteriscoming.net to see if they can find that interview. So thank you for putting that in there, Garden. All right. Next up, we got uh, Broadway Geeky writes, with The Simpsons being five years away from its 40th anniversary. God, that is, that is weird. With The Simpsons being five years away from being its 40th anniversary and no series finale in sight, what do you think they'll do when one of their big voice actors die or retire because the show uh, before the show ends? Will they replace uh, Cast Castellaneta or Kravner with another actor? Uh, probably. Yeah. I mean, look, I would always say recast, always recast. I think it was a mistake that Disney decided just to kill off T'Challa instead of recasting the character. That being said, it might be different with the Simpsons because the Simpsons has been around for almost 40 years, Right. Like if for whatever reason, God forbid, one of the uh, like whether Hank Azaria or one of the other cast members of The Simpsons dies off, retires, whatever. Under normal circumstances, I would say just recast. But with a show that's been around that long. And people who have literally spent most of their lives working with that person. Let's say something horrible happens and one of the main cast members dies, right? It is a much bigger impact because you're talking not about somebody that you've been friends with for two or three years. You're talking about your entire cast and your crew and your team. You have been, no, you have known and been working with that person for 35, 37, 38 years. You've been working with them almost like most of your life. 
think that would be a little bit more impactful. But also the fact the show's been around for 40 years, they just might go, ah, you know what? Um, you know what? Just, it's time for the show to end. Now, uh, Curtis Lopez brings up a good point. I remember this. You're right. Curtis Lopez in the live chat just pointed out they killed off Mrs. Kerbapel because the voice actress died. You're, I believe you're right about that. So that is something that they had done before. Uh, Ice Ness is also pointing out, this is a different situation though, that they, they uh, recast Mayor West in Family Guy after the passing of Adam West. I don't think they did recast Adam West. I think they had, did they not have um, Mayor West die when Adam West died? Because that's not like the Mrs. Kerbopel situation because Adam West was actually Adam West in it. But anyway, that just kind of thought. All right, good question, man. All right, next up. We've got uh, BK Dan who writes, John, the other day during the Gargoyles live action being made, that you probably mean the topic when we were discussing it, you mentioned just like that vampire cop. Well, that shows Moonlight with Alex O'Loughlin. Yeah, so what happened was um, they, Ray the other day brought up some old vampire show. And during like the 90s, there was a lot of vampire shows got made. A couple of them were like vampire cop shows or whatever. And I think you're right. I think that was the name of one of them that I had forgotten about BK Dan. So thanks. Thanks for mentioning that. Okay. With that down now, guys, let's get over to your live questions that you guys have been sending in. If I can get it loaded up here, give me one moment to get it fired up. Okay. There we go. All right. We are going to get things kicked off here with, if I can find it, there we go. Kicking things off here with Connor Dorian, who writes, Gen V has been renewed for a second season. Yes, I'm super excited about that. We're going to talk about that more on the John Campus show tomorrow. Uh, Connor also writes in, SAG-AFTRA and studios are continuing negotiations starting tomorrow and next week. I have not heard that. I have not heard that. Are you sure your information is correct? Because I believe I heard that there are no new talks scheduled right now. Anybody in the live chat? Can any can anybody in the live chat confirm what Connor uh, is saying here about them? Because I, I had heard as early as like an hour before we started streaming here that there are no talks scheduled to resume. Um Michael Gonzalez has not seen anything. Richard Murphy saying they're not seeing anything. I don't know if you're right about that, Connor. I would say double check your, your source on that. I mean, maybe you are right. If you are, that's fantastic. But I, I have not heard that. All right. Uh, next up. Uh, that was Connor. Now we go to Bobby Jackson, who writes, uh, glad we're finally getting traction on Fox properties like Alien. Looking forward to Noah Hawley's FX series and the Fede Alvarez movie. I'm not familiar with Shogun, but uh, Hiri Yuki Sonata, who of course uh, is brilliant, just saw him recently in things like Bullet Train and Mortal Kombat. And of course he was in Westworld and he's just all over the place. He's awesome. Um, sells it for me. I don't know how excited I am about Aliens. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Aliens is kind of a property that's been run into the ground. However, if they can do what they did for Predator with Prey, if they can do that with Aliens, all for it. Shogun, though. Shogun. I don't know how many of you guys have followed me since the movie blog days. Back in my old blog called the movie blog days. 
maybe some of you didn't discover me until AMC, maybe Clyder, and maybe not till the John Campy Show channel. But if there are any of you here who have been with me since the movie blog days, you guys will know that whenever somebody has brought up the question to me, what book would you like them to turn into a movie? I have always said the same thing. James Clavell's Shogun. Because I remember as a little kid watching the miniseries, which motivated me to reading the book. And I have always thought that has needed a retelling. Now, we're not getting a movie. We're getting a series on FX. Same network that gave us Sons of Anarchy. That's great. And I cannot wait. Oh, yeah, I forgot. He was also in a uh, small part, but he was also in, in uh, John Wick 4. Thank you for reminding me of that, guys. Um, but I I'm telling you, man, I cannot begin to tell you how excited I am about Shogun. I remember during that Disney investors call when they brought up Shogun, like they announced a bunch of Star Wars projects. They announced Fantastic Four and some other Marvel projects, but nothing got a bigger. If any of you watched the live stream when I was watching along with the uh, the big announcement video from Disney, nothing got a bigger reaction out of me than Shogun. And I cannot wait. I cannot wait to watch that. It's, it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. All right. Next up, Bobby Jackson also writes, even though it wouldn't make sense because of the Bifrost, I'd love if Captain Marvel's quote unquote friend was Shang-Chi and they tied in the rings and the beacon. I mean, there's there's some there. Like, like we remember that at the end of Shang-Chi, Captain Marvel does point up, maybe that, but I don't know why she would call Shang-Chi, who has no like intergalactic experience, uh, unlike a Thor or a Valkyrie, or a Lady Sif, or Beta Ray Bill, or whatever. So I don't know why it would it wouldn't make a lot of sense that it would be Shang-Chi, but listen, I'm just dying to see Shang-Chi on the screen again. So if it is him, that would be great. All right. Next up, Azaz writes, Hey John, John and Sean. Well, no, no, no. This is this is the open mic. It's not the John Campus show. It's just me on open mic. Anyway, I finally caught up on Arcane my all-time favorite animated show. Uh, loved it. Stunning animation, top-tier story while having brilliantly written characters. I'll tell you what, I I was not interested in Arcane. I, I, I already forget. What's the video game it's based on? Guys in the live chat, help me out here. What was the video game? That, what's the video game? It's the, the multi-first-person shooter tournament game. What's, what's the game called? That uh, it's League of Legends. Thank you. Michael Gonzalez and Fanjector were the first ones to put that in. League of Legends. I don't care about League of Legends. I I thought I saw, I didn't even really like the animation style in the first little preview I saw for Arcane, but I decided I was going to try it. Oh my God. In one season, it became my all-time favorite animated show, period. I love it. It's got Game of Thrones style writing brilliant deep characters, multiple story threads. It's just a brilliantly put together show. And I, I, I don't even know when it's coming back, but I can't wait for it. I, I simply cannot wait. All right, guys, listen, we still got a bunch more questions to get to, but before we do, we're going to take just one more break here and thank a couple of more sponsors. This is today's episode, our friends, my mobile service provider, and they should be yours, Mint Mobile, and my all-time favorite teeth brushing experience. You sound like I'm kidding, but I'm not. The good folks equip. 
Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Mint Mobile. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. Sure, it looks like fun at first. They probably even threw in a free phone. But now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills, like overages and surprise fees. If that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just 15 bucks a month. You guys know before I came to Mint Mobile, I was paying triple what I am paying now on the standard big wireless plan, and I will never go back. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com dot com slash campia cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia guys we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video Quip. Guys, good health starts with good habits, and Quip makes taking care of your oral health easy by delivering all the oral care essentials that you need to care for your mouth. They've got an incredible electric toothbrush with time sonic vibrations with 30-second pulses to guide a dentist-recommended two-minute clean. Guys, it's my favorite toothbrush I've ever owned. And who likes flossing? I don't, but this water flosser hits all the right spots with gentle or deep cleaning pressure at the touch of a button. But guys, then there was an additional surprise. Quip also supplies mints and gums that are fantastic. Every time you pop one of their new mints, you'll be caring for your mouth inside and out. Bold mint flavor keeps your breath confidently fresh and you'll get a boost of vitamin D. And their gum prevents cavities and freshens breath when chewed for like 20 minutes after eating. It's sugar-free, is tooth friendly, and has zero calories. So guys, if you go to getquip.com campia right now, you'll get 20% off any electric toothbrush mint and gum dispenser, and water flosser. That's your 20% off any electric toothbrush, mint and gum dispenser, water floss at getquip.com slash campia. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash campia. Quip, the good habits company. And thank you to our friends at Mint Mobile and Quip for sponsoring this episode. Okay, guys, we still got more questions of yours to get to, so let's get to them right now. We're going to pick things up here with Azaz, who writes, Game day! Gen V and Loki, also Spider-Man 2. A lot of people very excited that Spider-Man 2, the video game's coming out. Uh, any of you planning... Um, planning to play it or at least watch the story aspect of it most anticipated day of the year i'm gonna watch i'm probably not gonna play it like i'm any game time i have right now is completely dedicated to Baldur's gate 3 uh, and i don't have a lot of game time but when i do i'm playing Baldur's gate 3 but i probably will watch the uh the cutscene movie I, I expect that will probably come out in a couple of days people will get that together it's probably gonna be like 14 hours long or something like that but i will definitely get around to watching it once that comes up all right but yes, Gen V tonight, cannot wait. All right, uh, Kyle Schindler writes, uh, or, or Schneider, I should say, writes, did you see the new trailer for Invincible Season 2? What were your thoughts? I did, and it was okay. I, like, don't misinterpret me. I quite enjoyed Invincible Season 1. Like, I, I thought it was quite good. I liked it. Um, the trailer for season two, yeah, it was all right, I guess. 
I mean, it's just a lot of, oh, look, heads exploding and I, eh, it was okay. Now, look, I, I think the show will be probably quite good. I really enjoyed uh, the first season. I'm sure the second season is going to be good. But yeah, as far as the trailer, goes, I'm not going to lie to you. The trailer, remember the job, I say this all the time, the job of a trailer is to take your excitement level, no matter how high it is or how low it is, and just bump it up a little bit. I got to say, I don't know that the trailer for Invincible Season 2 got me any more excited about it. Like, I'm looking forward to it already, but I don't think the trailer got me more excited about it. I'll be honest with you, I don't think it was a great trailer, but, eh, you know, it was all right. All right. Uh, next up, we've got uh, Nikki Nikki. Right, so my two cents, entertainment should be our escape from reality, uh, especially in dark times. Hence the pushback on modern day politics being in TV and movies. Here's the thing, Nikki Nikki. They have always been in movies. Always. Star Wars. Listen, go back and read George Lucas talking about it. It was all very, it was a political statement movie. Star Trek, it's even Star Trek was like very steeped in, in politics. Almost everything that is told from a point of view, and every story is, will have some degree of politics in it. And and to be honest with you, Kevin Rubio, just pointed out a great one, Gone with the Wind. I mean, it's like you go back to the all-time classics, it's there. And if you don't know that, you don't actually know film history. And and quite frankly, and I'm not saying you're doing this, Nikki Nikki. Understand, I'm, I'm not talking about you, okay? But I'm saying a lot of people, when they say they put politics into movies, what they're really saying is, why is there a gay person in this movie? Don't they know that gay people should be hidden under rocks and not be allowed to walk in the sun? I mean, and so just the very fact that certain people are, even have a presence in movies, they call that politics. That's, that's, that's not politics. The movie will have politics in it because all movies do to some degree or another. But I find what happens, and again, I'm not saying this is you. I'm not saying this is you. But I find a lot of times when people say, why are they putting their politics in this? What they're really saying is, why is there a black man on screen? Why is that gay guy in this movie? Politics. And anyway, that's not really yet. But again, go back through history. What... The movies have not changed. What has changed is the audience's responses to them. That's what's changed. Anyway, that's just kind of my two cents worth. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Josh McGregor uh, writes, what's up, John? Did you watch the Invincible trailer? <laughs> if so, what are your thoughts? Uh, thought it'd be a topic. It's, it's, a mediocre, it's a mediocre trailer for a show that's not out yet. I, again, and I say this, you guys remember I, me talking about the first season. I like it. I like Invincible. I didn't think it was that great of a trailer. But again, that doesn't mean that I don't think the show's not going to be great. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up, Dallas Designer sends in a $20 super chat. Thank you, Dallas, for supporting us on that level, man. I appreciate that. Um, tinfoil hat time. Is it possible that Cavill's mustache gate contributed to the last Mission Impossible success? No, zero chance. The CGI was so bad in Justice League that maybe we all just had to see what the fuss was about. No, no, I, I get you asking, but no, because if you wanted to see what Henry Cavill looked like in the mustache, all you had to do was watch the trailer. I can guarantee you this, Dallas. 
nobody on planet Earth went to go see the last Mission Impossible movie to see, well, how important was Henry Cavill's mustache? I don't, I don't think, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people went to go see the movie and that was maybe in the back of their head, but nobody went, you know, I was going to stay home and have sex with the missus tonight, but I just gotta know, I gotta know. Was Henry having that mustache so important to Tom Cruise that he wouldn't let him shave the mustache? I, I don't believe there's anybody on planet Earth. And if there is, it's very, very few of them. So, uh, no, I, I don't I don't I don't think that had anything to do with the Dallas. Just my thoughts. All right. Uh, see, next up, uh, Ian McAllister writes, hey, John. In my opinion, Scrubs is the best sitcom of all time. I I don't agree, but Scrubs was great. I really did like Scrubs a lot. Uh, Not because of how funny it is with friends in the office being far more funny, but friends and the office being far more funny, but because of all the lessons and emotions hits. See, that's the thing about Scrubs. Scrubs wasn't just a good sitcom. It was a good show. You You know what I mean? It wasn't just a good sitcom. It was a good show with wonderful characters, great relationships and dynamics. Um, It was really wonderful. And again, one of the best, unfortunately didn't end up being the series finale because they did do another season afterwards. But what we thought was the series finale, they ended with um, the main character kind of have a looking at the future of his life. And it plays like a home movie. And what he's actually seeing is, is what lays ahead of him, right? And it's playing like a home movie and they're playing Peter Gabriel's The Book of Love. The book of love is long and boring. No one can lift the damn thing. It's, it's a, if you don't know The Book of Love, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. Anne and I loved it so much, we actually had her walk down the aisle to Book of Love. Anyway, when we got married. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful ending. And then they kind of ruined the ending by having another season of it uh, without the lead character, whatever have you. Um, I don't believe Scrubs is like in the top two, three, four, five, but it's a great one. And I really, really enjoyed Scrubs. And and that would be one I would love to see them because apparently all the cast still really like each other. I would love to see them revisit Scrubs someday. I really, really would. I think that'd be fun. All right, next up. Ian McAllister also writes again, especially the scenes when Dr. Cox, who, by the way, is one of my all-time favorite television characters, Dr. Cox, I loved him, uh, loses those three transplant patients to rabies. Recently, I just rewatched the season and I'm watching season nine for the first time. Not as bad as everyone says. I really thought season nine, I believe that's the one where they did it. They change hospitals and it's a, they, they, the lead, the lead guy's gone. I really do think it was quite a bad season, but I'm glad you liked it more than I did, Ian. All right. Alex Von Gollum writes, if I haven't watched The Boys, should I watch Gen V? Let me just answer that question, but forget Gen V. Take Gen V out of the equation. You need to watch The Boys. It has nothing to do with Gen V. If you haven't watched Gen V, just regardless, if you haven't watched The Boys, I should say, do yourself a favor and watch The Boys. Then go and watch Gen V. I think, I think you can watch Gen V without watching The Boys, but I think you're going to have a much deeper appreciation for it if you do. But just treat yourself, in the words of Tom Hatherford, go and watch uh, The Boys. I, I think you'll be glad you did, Alex. All right. Curtis Lopez writes, 
Uh, let me get this straight, John. People hate when you talk politics on your social media, but want you to talk politics on your YouTube show for movies. Welcome to the internet. Curtis, you have no idea. You have no idea. Uh, and yes, that that is true. It's kind of like, I remember, this is going back a couple of years now, but I remember like in the same uh as I looked up my mentions on Twitter and I've, I've, I've shut down. I had over a hundred thousand followers on Twitter. I've shut my Twitter down. She said, Nothing good ever came of Twitter. Nothing good in the world has ever come about as a result of Twitter. So I've, I've, I've turned off my Twitter, but some of you, if you've been following me for a while, you remember this, that literally in my mentions thing in Twitter. And I, cause I showed it on my show once one person talked to me on Twitter John, you're such a Warner Brothers ball sucker, always kissing up to Warner Brothers. You're a fucking Marvel hater, blah, 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 blah. Very next mention, somebody else. John's such a Disney shill, always crapping on DC and blah, blah, blah. Like literally, and those two tweets came in within about two minutes of each other. That is the internet. And one of the reasons why... I say nothing good in this world ever came about as the result of Twitter <laughs> ever or whatever they're calling it now, uh, X or whatever. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I just, I stopped using it. Then I eventually just deleted it. Um, yeah. And I just saw that RJJ is just putting in the thing that I just saw that now they're going to start charging you to use it. It's, it's nothing. It's like $1, but still that's, they're actually going to charge people to use it now. It's, it's, it's as small as it can possibly be $1. That's nothing, but it's just kind of interesting. I wonder if that $1 will go up. All right. Uh, next up, we got a uh, Vixter 5001 who writes, saw 25 films at the London film fest. Awesome. My highlights Hitman. Very excited about Hitman. Uh, the holdovers, Paul Giamatti, new movie that he's doing with the, uh, his director from sideways. Super excited about that. Poor Things, which some people are, are saying is a best picture contender. All of Us Strangers, The Killer, the new Michael Fassbender movie. Priscilla, uh, which is the new um, Coppola, Sofia Coppola film uh, is Priscilla. Great films ahead. I'm very jealous that you got to see all those Vixter 5001, and I'm very much looking forward to a lot of those ones that you just mentioned. Okay. Next up, James Wheeler writes, Hello, John. Did you watch Killers of the Flower Moon? And if so, what did you think of it? I was supposed to be in Killers of the Flower Moon right now. I, I, in case you're you're joining the stream late, I mentioned that uh, Ann and I had our tickets for 3.30 p.m. today, and I totally forgot that today was one of the days we were supposed to be doing open mic. So I chose you guys over Leonardo DiCaprio. You're welcome. So no, I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to try to get out to see it uh, this weekend, though, because I've been dying to see it for months. Uh, anyway, next up. Uh, David Cushmore writes, is there going to be the Bad Batch season three, Mandalorian season four and Andor season two? What is next for Star Wars? Uh, we'll get Deadpool three. Oh, yeah. Deadpool three is almost done. I mean, they just got there as far as Deadpool three goes. They're just waiting for the actor strike to end so they can get back and finish off the movie. They're a long way into production on that movie. So that's coming. Um, and or season two, they've already 100 percent confirmed that is happening. I don't care if they do Bad Batch season three. I thought Bad Batch was horrible. Uh, I remember when they started with Bad Batch season one. First of all, I hated Bad Batch 
in Clone Wars season seven. I thought that I thought they were terrible in it. But then when they launched their own show, I watched the first two episodes and I was like, huh, that wasn't bad. I I actually kind of liked uh the first two episodes of Bad Batch. And then it for me personally, I'm sure others like it for me personally kind of fell apart. And so I don't really care if there's going to be a bad batch season three. I don't No, I mean, most people, it's a segment of people that watch star Wars. It's a segment within that segment that watch the animated stuff. Uh, so I'm sure it's not really important whether they do a bad batch season three, as far as Mandalorian season four, I'd be really surprised if there wasn't a Mandalorian season four, despite the fact that season three was the weakest and had the lowest ratings. They are trying to build up presumably they're trying to build up to a Dave Filoni Mandalorian Mandoverse crossover movie. So I got to believe that they will do. I don't, I haven't heard anything official like Andor season two is official. I haven't heard anything official about Mandalorian season four. Let's just say I'd be very, very surprised if they didn't do Mandalorian season four. I think they will. All right, next up. Uh, let's see here. Tim Platt writes, if people were mature enough to handle differences in opinion slash life views, this wouldn't be an issue. True. Anyway, have you seen dumb money? Yes. I've talked about it many times. Uh, which do you think was better that or the big short? I'll tell you what. I actually thought dumb money was the better movie. And I, I say that as somebody who really likes the big short. I don't like it quite as much as Rob does. I think it's like one of Rob's top 20 favorite movies ever, but I really liked the big short, but dumb money for me. Mm. You know why I think I like dumb money a little bit more than the big short is because while both of those movies are talking about the events of a big financial incident that happened two different financial incidences that happened. I found that dumb money made it less about the event and more about the characters. Like the one, one of the narrative shortcomings, I think of the big short, a movie I love is that it's not really about the characters, right? It's about the events that those characters inhabited. Whereas dumb money was more about the characters and the events are happening around the characters, particularly your main character played by Paul Dano. Um, and I think that's why um, I, I think that's why I liked dumb money a little bit more. Again, they're both fantastic. I think I like dumb money just a little bit more. All right. Let's see. Next up. Um, Todd Kaepernick writes, Tuesday marked six years since Gord Downey's death. As a Canadian, can you explain how the tragically hip have such a profound impact on your country? Um, the, the thing about the hip, which by the way, that's what us Canadians call the tragically hip. We just call them the hip. Um, tragically hip, along with other like Canadian bands of that ilk, like Northern Pikes and, and stuff like that, they were just so quintessentially Canadian, you know, and their music became, it's, I, I'm trying to think of an American equivalent. Like, seriously, I'm trying to think of an American equivalent to, to what, what an American equivalent to the Northern Pikes would be. And, and I'm not even sure I can. Like, 
they were Canada's U2 in, in some ways. I mean, U2 is obviously much bigger and the, the maybe arguably the biggest band of all time. But I mean, um, it was just, they were just quintessentially Canadian. And bands like them, Bare Naked Ladies, um, they just were so a part of our culture, particularly the culture of like when I was growing up as a teenager, like they were just so intrinsically a part of it. It's, it's really, really hard for me to think of an equivalent that Americans would understand. Like, like Stavros is saying like the Beatles of Canada, not really. Like it was, it was different. Um, they weren't the Beatles of Canada. I'm trying to, to really think of a way that I, I can, there's just no comparison. So I don't know how to explain it in a way that somebody who's not Canadian would actually get it. But it's weird that that's been six years. Anyway, uh, next up. Duck Duck writes, uh, Buenos tardes. I finished Return of the Jedi today. It was a good movie, but I feel so empty now that things wrapped up. Vader and Luke were perfectly written. Great endings all around. Sequels next. Yeah, I, I don't know what you're going to think about the sequels. <laughs> like, like, the sequels are such a mixed bag for me. Because I loved The Force Awakens. Loved it. Uh, I know I've told this story before, but me and John Schnepp, we loved that movie so much that at least once or twice a week for a number of weeks, when we had a little bit of a break in the afternoon, because our AMC movie news offices were right across the street from the AMC Burbank 16, Schnepp and I would just run across the street and go in and watch Phantom Menace, or Phantom Menace, The Force Awakens again. We would just go in and watch. I love The Force Awakens. I mean, it's not as good as the original trilogy. It's not as good as Rogue One, but I mean, we, we loved it. I, I loved that movie. Then came The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi had things in it that I loved. There were certain things in Last Jedi that I, I really did quite like a lot. And then there were things that were really quite awful. Overall, for me, I was okay. I was okay with The Last Jedi. So I went from loving The Force Awakens to, to certain loving parts of The Last Jedi, but overall, I, I liked it. I liked it. And then came the rise of Skywalker. And I remember, I don't know if some of you remember this, but I went to the world premiere of the rise of Skywalker. And I remember I came out of the theater. You had to check your phones in when you would go into these premieres. So I went and got my phone back, stepped outside on my way to the after party and I recorded an out-of-the-theater reaction, and I just said, this isn't it, guys. This isn't it. Oh, I hated that movie. I, I admired, to a degree, them wanting to take big swings. So, yeah, I, I'm going to be really curious, Duck Duck, to know what you think about the sequels there. So the sequels for me are a mixed bag, going from really liking one of them and really hating another one of them, and the one in the middle kind of coming in the middle for me. All right. Next up, but they're better than the C than the prequels. They're better than the prequels. All right. Uh, L L Rartoff writes, John, you've said you don't like coffee. True. I don't like coffee. Uh, why don't you? Because it doesn't taste good. Um, and what was your experience with coffee? Uh, love it. So I'm very curious on your reasoning. It seemed why don't I like it? The same reason anybody doesn't like any food or drink. It does not taste good to me. Now I have drank coffee 
And on a, you know, a cold Canadian morning, if I'm out doing some stuff and somebody offered me a hot cup of coffee, I I would take it. It's not like a, if I sip coffee, I'm going to go or anything like that. But no, I don't like coffee. You know, it's weird. I don't like coffee, but I love the smell of coffee. I love the smell of coffee. I don't know. So yeah, I, I don't know why. Maybe it's because of Tim Hortons. That I, I mean, Tim Hortons, I, oh my God, I had a chemical addiction to Tim Horton Boston cream donuts. Uh, so I was in Tim Hortons all the time, but just never to get their coffee. But maybe I just came to associate the deliciousness of their donuts with the smell of coffee because that always used to be there. All right. Uh, next up, Sean Medellin writes, I'm always shocked across the universe doesn't get named with a lot of other musicals for being great. Just a thought, you know, it, 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 Across the universe, I'm trying to remember the name. What was the name of the director? What was her name again? Do you guys, if, if somebody can look it up, I keep forgetting her name, the name of the director for Across the Universe. Um, if some of, somebody in the live chat can kind of throw that in there. I liked Across the Universe, but I, I mean, for myself, Sean, I got to say, I never, I never thought it was one of the greats, you know, um, it, I, I, like I said, I enjoyed it. I like Julie Taymor. Thank you so much. Delusional Patriots fan. Thank you so much. Julie Taymor. Um, I like the movie. I, I, it, it never clicked for me on the same level that maybe it looks like it clicked for you. But I mean, that's the beautiful thing about the art, right? Like some of us will like things more than others or less than others and stuff like that. But I'm glad you got a really good experience out of it. For me, it's definitely a, a good movie, positive one. I think I watched it like twice, but uh, it doesn't rank up there with, for me personally, with movies like greatest showman, Moulin Rouge, you know, things like that. But that's, that's more of my speed. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Connor Dorian who writes, um, sorry, but the article that said they were going to that, that said we're going to be SAG after meetings was an old article on MSN that was provided by Deadline uh, pretending to be new. Okay, okay, okay. So Connor wrote in earlier on the show, did you hear SAG's going to start meeting again tomorrow? And I was like, I had heard the opposite, that they don't have any plans to meet again. So thank you for clearing that up, Connor. I appreciate that, man. That was really nice of you to follow that up. Robert uh, Presser writes, people can't even agree to disagree anymore. Yeah... I mean, look, it's, it's funny. I actually find that let's take kind of an innocuous kind of movie. Um, well, let's take, um, um, mission impossible dead reckoning part one, right? When there's not a political angle being played by viewers, then I find still today discourse about movies to be really good. Like I've seen a lot of discussion. There are, there are a bunch of people that didn't like mission impossible dead reckoning bunch of people like myself who did. And whenever I see discourse and conversations about the movie between people who liked it and didn't like it, it's usually a pretty good conversation. It's usually just a good conversation because they're just talking about the movie and they're just talking about what worked, didn't work. Was the action on par? Did they give away too much? And all that kind of stuff, just good, solid movie discussion. It's when you get into things I find like, I don't know, pick a movie that has a gay character (laughs) and and people want to grind their ax and whatever. That's when it becomes insufferable. That's, that's when it really becomes insufferable. You know, it's funny. I've never had anybody answer this question for me. 
I've never had anybody answer this question for me. And maybe I shouldn't even be bringing it up, but what the hell, I will. Star Wars, the sequels, right? There were a bunch of people who get all upset with the Ray character saying, woke, 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 woke. Oh, it's so woke. Oh, it's just, it's just got an agenda. This all woman agenda. Woke, 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 woke. And, and, and I, I remember I, I posed this question once and nobody gave me an answer. Nobody answered this. And here's the question I posed. I said it like this. You know, when I watched CW Supergirl, I could understand you saying that about Supergirl because loaded in Supergirl all over the place all the time was dialogue and um, basically dissertations about I can do this because I'm a woman and I'm strong and nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying if someone wants to point to that in something like Supergirl, I could see, I would ask you, why do you have a problem with that? But still you would be right. Like that, that kind of stuff was all over the place in Supergirl, right? It's like, what's wrong with being a girl? Are you saying I can't be great because I'm a girl? Like those types of scenes were in every single episode, at least the ones that I saw of Supergirl all over the place. Again, there's no problem that there was, but if you wanted to say that was there, I could get that about Supergirl. And I would ask where anywhere, anywhere in Star Wars, The Force Awakens, because this is when it all started, where anywhere in Star Wars, The Force Awakens, was there one speech about that? Where anywhere in Star Wars, The Force Awakens, is Ray, does Ray say, you know what? I don't need any man. I'm a girl. And as a girl, I am powerful. And I've been able to survive in the desert this whole time without any man helping me. And I would ask, where, again, I see it in Supergirl, but where in Star Wars, where in The Force Awakens, is there any scene? Is there any dialogue? Is there any exposition that suggests that this is about girl power and not just the fact that the lead character happened to be a girl. There is none. There is no scene in Star Wars The Force Awakens at any time that is Rey's gender brought up as an issue at all, ever. And then, and then people would say, well, well, Kathleen Kennedy wore a t-shirt that said the force is female. How dare she? It's like ignoramuses. You do realize that that is not her shirt. That is a Nike shirt. That was a pre-existing Nike ad campaign called the force is female. That was a Nike thing and she wore it. But People are like, oh, that means this. And it was like, what, what are you talking about? Anyway, that is just human behavior is really interesting to me sometimes. All right. Next up, Marcus uh, Barboza sends in like a $20 super chat. Thank you, Marcus, for supporting us on that level, man. Appreciate that. 
And uh, Marcus writes, hey, John, for Star Wars, is it difficult to tell new stories because of the reception to the sequel trilogy? Between episode six and episode seven, we have we have fertile ground with Imperial warlords, pirates, New Republic. Nah, any more than them doing new movies coming off of those insidiously awful prequels. Uh, then coming off of the insidiously awful Star Wars, the the Rise of Skywalker, it, that doesn't inhibit you at all. You can tell any story you want. Between episodes six and seven, we have fertile ground. Listen, but we've already covered that ground, right? Like, let's just get away from the eras we've already talked about. We've got stuff like Mandalorian. Uh, Book of Boba Fett, now Ahsoka, all these are being told be in between episodes six and seven. I mean, this, let's let's get away from it. Why does everything have to be within 30 years of the original Star Wars? Like, let's go back to the Old Republic or before it, or let's get forward in the future. All of it is rich storytelling potential. Storytelling potential is based on, are you in a world where you can creatively tell some stories? Well, this George Lucas created this incredible universe. Go explore it and tell it. But no, I, I don't think Marcus personally, I don't think anything more than how the prequels, I don't think took away any ability to tell new Star Wars stories any more than I think The Rise of Skywalker has taken away. As bad as it was, it doesn't take away the ability to tell other stories. But I don't think you have to stay in this one in the millennia of time in the Star Wars universe. Why does everything have to be told in this one tiny little box? Between right around the time in Birth of Luke Skywalker or Anakin Skywalker to right about the time that the emperor finally died. Like why in this finite, tiny little piece of time, why does everything in star Wars have to happen there? Expand, go way into the past, start moving ahead in the future. I don't know. I, I, I mean, that's just me, Marcus. That's just what I would like to see. doesn't mean that's the only way to do it. It's not that there aren't great stories that you can tell in this tiny little box. There are hell and or best star Wars thing they made since return of the Jedi. And that happens in that tiny little box. So yeah, you can tell great stories in that tiny little box, but why not explore? George Lucas created this incredible, vast universe. Go explore it. But that's just my opinion. All right. Vixter5001 writes, forgot to add a salt burn to that list. That's great. I don't remember what we're talking about, Vixter. Sorry about that. So I'm not quite sure what you're referring to. All right. Next up, Casinema writes, uh, one of two. The more I thought about it, the problem with the new Transformers wasn't that they did Beast Wars or didn't do Bumblebee 2 or anything like that. The problem was that they oversimplified what people loved about Bumblebee. They boiled it down to people want the plots of, of other films with G1 designs. I don't even, I'll be honest with you, cinema. I'm not even sure you can just boil it down to that. I, I think it's, it's, it's much more beyond that. Look, making the movie about Beast Wars is not what made the movie good or bad. I think that's what made the movie difficult to market because only a segment of people watch Transformers and a segment within that segment watched Beast Wars. I think trying to base your marketing and base a movie on Beast Wars was going to be not a narrative challenge, but a marketing challenge. I think that was going to be a marketing challenge. 
the vast movie-going audience was not wanting a Beast Wars film because the vast majority of the movie-going audience never even heard of Beast Wars. The reason I think it was a mistake not to do Bumblebee 2 was not because the only way you can make a good movie is if you make a sequel to Bumblebee. Not at all. But Bumblebee started the rehabilitation of the perception of Transformers. The Transformers reputation as a film franchise had gone right into the sewer, right? Everybody just assumed Transformers equals garbage because we were given garbage, garbage, garbage for so long. I still love the first Transformers Michael Bay movie. I do not apologetic about that, but you know, it got so bad. And then Bumblebee came out and very few people saw it because the Transformers reputation was terrible, but Bumblebee was so good that it started to rebuild that reputation a little bit. And I think from a marketing point of view, it would have been a much better idea to just follow that up with Bumblebee 2. Instead, they went to Beast Wars. And right then, I think they already lost the fight. I think they lost the marketing battle, the box office battle. I think they lost it right with that. Um, and then the movie wasn't great. I enjoyed it. By the way, let me be on record right here. I had fun watching Transformers Beast Wars, Rise of the Beasts. I liked it. I, I don't think it was great, but I enjoyed it. I had a good time watching it. It wasn't quite as good as Bumblebee, but I enjoyed it. Had a good time. But yeah, it was never going to be a big box office success. And, and I don't know that it was good enough that it helped the continuing rehabilitation of the reputation of Transformers. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's good. It's a good topic to cinema. I think it's one that people are going to be kind of dissecting and doing a postmortem on for a long time. All right, guys. And that'll do it for today's installment of open mic. Went a bit longer than I thought I was going to today. I was going to try to keep this to an hour, but anyway, hour and a half. That's fine. Thank you so much for being here and joining me for open mic here today. It's been a pleasure being here and chatting with you guys, talking about our favorite things, movies and movie news. And remember, we're just talking here casually. I mean, don't take anything I say too seriously, but hey, you know, I'm just giving you thoughts off the top of my head. Thank you for sharing some of yours. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in the questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, by sending in questions, you actually support what we do here. And all of us involved at the channel, thank you guys so very much for your support. All right, guys, we'll be back again tomorrow uh, for the next installment of the John Cabe Show podcast. I'm about to head home. Anne has already told me she's got a bunch of food at home. I'm excited about that because we're going to watch Gen V. We're going to watch Loki. I cannot wait. Uh, I'll talk to you guys later. My name, of course, is John Campy, my friends. And until next time, everybody. Bye-bye.